0: Hello and welcome to the Women's Agenda Podcast. My name is Angela Priestley and I have Tyler Lambert with me. How are you? I'm good. It's a Friday afternoon. Um, Would I be upset? It is another big week. Um, So we are talking uh, politics, latest from the Morrison government, a little bit on some pretty awesome business news. And Tyler, you're going to take us through a few issues with Married at First Sight. So many issues. Thank you for listening. Okay, so Tala, it has been two weeks since the Morrison government announced its uh, pretty major shake-up of Cabinet, which in saw Michaelia Cash going to become the Attorney General, which saw Christian Porter demoted to uh, still sitting in the the cabinet, but um, certainly not as the Attorney General anymore. And it also saw for a moment that we had a new Prime Minister for women in Senator mm. Maurice Payne, which obviously Shortly. Scott Morrison did backtrack on that and declare that uh, actually, you know, her role is more the primary minister
1: mm, for women. Um, clever.
0: <laughs> clever <laughs> clever little word tricks there and so they have been uh, it's been a busy period it's been a good two weeks that women's cabinet has had their first meeting mm-hmm. uh, this coming monday and we have heard from that and we've also heard the government's response to the respect at work report which over a year since uh, kate jenkins actually handed that report over but they have provided a response, which I think I will get to in a moment. But first, Tyler, take us Mm. through what came out of that first women's cabinet meeting. There were some great photos. There were some really good
1: photos of everyone looking like they really did care and they were really listening. And that is, you know, that's a really helpful start. But no, (laughs) what actually came out of it in terms of tangible outcomes um, was a little bit strange to be honest. So, the – well, earlier in the week, um, Minister Anne Ruston announced a National Women's Safety Summit, which will be held in July, as well as a national survey for members of the public to have their say on the national crisis of violence against women. Mm. Um, And the pretext was that it would help develop a strategy for reducing and preventing family, domestic and sexual violence. I thought the survey in particular was a really dangerous idea because essentially you're asking the electorate to provide advice Mm -hmm. um, and their own input on how they feel these really complex issues of trauma and violence should be handled Mm. The government knows how to handle these issues. They it's getting have, plenty of advice, it has it. <laughs> they have had, yeah, streams of advice from the country's best experts, you know, the services that are at the front line of this every single day. They know what needs to happen. They don't need the electorate to tell them what needs to happen. And also what this does is actually potentially ask perpetrators to voice what their feedback mm. is um, and... To me, it just feels a little bit icky. It feels like a polling exercise mm-hmm. and not an actual concrete measure to get to the bottom of what needs to happen here. Yeah, you know, the from my end, it feels like the government is trying to work out what the main uh, the main bulk of their voters, which would be middle class white um, Australians, and who what who the, what. Their opinion is on this um and if they feel that the feedback that's coming back uh lines up with you know lines up with them having to actually move and to to actually um put some policy into place here and and present some um some real funding into this then they will but if if not then maybe they'd handle it a different way and yeah. um for me it just felt really off yeah. um, and look the women's safety summit. I'm you know I feel kind of a bit um I just feel like that's really lackluster as well we just don't need another talk fest we know what the issues are we just don't need to enter into this again like let's just actually see some concrete measures come into play already yeah yeah
0: and some funding that's mm. what we're getting and that was been the message this week as well to come out of multiple different organisations yeah. that have talked about how the um, the levels of um, – the, the, the increases that they've experienced during COVID and how that is not letting up at this time. It's not stopping but some of the additional funding that was provided to uh, cope with these increases in, in, in women seeking support and help – that funding is due to cut off in the next few weeks and mm. there's no guarantee of what will happen next so yeah and they've it, been pleading with the government
1: pleading because they know that that crisis crisis is escalating um, at a really alarming rate at the moment and so far the government has refused to to say whether or not they're actually going to, to inject that funding in they did announce 10 million dollars um of, of stimulus into uh temporary visa holders um and protecting them from domestic violence which sure is a good start but i just i feel a bit like 10 million dollars is just really not going to go very far at all yeah. um yeah
0: it, it, it definitely won't go very far at all on the survey, so I think you're giving too much credit by calling it a polling exercise. I would actually call it a delaying exercise because I just see it as, I mean, you put this out, then you need somebody to collate it, somebody to write a por- report, somebody to mm. release a report. Mm. Then you need to take some months, possibly a year or so, to think about the report. And then before you know it, Morrison's term Mm. is up, we're done, we've moved on, Mm -hmm. it's years in the future, and we got to say that we did something and say that something was happening and we got to put out like a report somewhere along the line and now it's somebody else's responsibility to do with this. So I think that that's exactly what it is like whenever you're announcing something particularly that kind of exercise which is really bizarre and we can say like you know we get plenty of unsolicited suggestions and advice and ideas on on Mm. what needs to be done um and yeah i can tell you as soon as you open that that can of worms to particularly people who are not actually experiencing this themselves and Have no kind of idea of what it means to be a, a victim yeah. or a survivor on the other side of this. It can get particularly uh, not not pleasant at all. So yeah. it's like me yeah. walking
1: into a lab and telling a scientist how to cure cancer. Like, what benefit is that going to provide? I can tell you absolutely none because my brain is not wired that way. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Respect at work. Okay, so this all this has been a big week. So this week, actually, I should provide a bit of context on this. So a little over a year ago, uh, well, even longer than that ago, we had, um, in response to Me Too, uh, the uh, coalition government funded, uh, basically Kate Jenkins, our uh, the sex discrimination commissioner, to do this very comprehensive report into sexual harassment in workplaces in Australia. And she did that. Uh, she had was hundreds of uh, submissions to that, You know, dozens of experts participating in that. And Kate Jenkins then went on and delivered what we thought and what we have uh, published at the time in terms of analysis on that, a really good comprehensive report. This was a world first as well. No other country had this kind of response to the Me Too movement. It happened here in Australia. It was a world first. She came up with 55 recommendations, good, solid well thought out recommendations. Mm-hmm. Some things that were actually kind of obvious as well that you might be surprised that were not actually in place yet, including you know how um, uh, parliamentarians, judges, etc., their responsibilities around sexual harassment. Mm. So here we are. Um, what are we in April 2021? The Morrison government has this week uh, issued a response to this. So well over a year later and I might say that the timing is particularly interesting given the events of the past week but but here it is, there's a response and they basically come in and said that we accept all 55 recommendations from the report either in full, in part, in principle. So mm-hmm. acknowledging these 55 recommendations all looks very positive. It seemed like there was a press conference on Thursday morning. It was a positive move. I really saw this as a really good first step. Mm-hmm. Now we need the detail. <laughs> so mm. we're yet to see a huge amount of detail. There has been some. We've seen which recommendations they're looking to push forward with. There needs to be legislation in order to make some of these recommendations happen. But also mm. from there, there needs to be the funding. So again, we go to the May budget, which will be coming up, obviously, and to see what level of funding will mm. be provided in that. What we can say is from the previous budget, from October, the um, it was obviously put off to uh, October, given the, the COVID situation last year, is that following this this Respect at Work report, the federal government provided something like $2 million in order to set up an online portal and some information and some resources, which seemed a pretty dire and uh, pathetic mm. amount of money to be funding when you've invested so much time and effort in coming up with this report in the first place to the point where you haven't actually been able to provide a decent response the funding that you have provided a couple of million to set up this very comprehensive port- portal. It just seemed like an impossible feat. Mm. So, And that was over a number of years. It always is. So here we are. So I feel it, it is a positive step forward. Yep. A lot of things have to happen now. Yep. And, and they uh, need to move fast as well. I don't want to see another delaying exercise. No. I don't want them just come out and say that we need some kind of ridiculous survey or something like that is going to be funded. <laughs> that yeah now is the time to start actually legislating and then funding what needs to be funded and putting more onus on the responsibility of employers rather than the the victims of sexual harassment themselves. Mm. Yeah, I
1: think that's exactly right. We just need to wait until the budget to see what detail and funding they're actually willing to throw at this because at the moment it is one thing to say that you accept the recommendations, that that is a really – positive sign um and not one that we've seen for the last 12 months so um you know I don't want to be overly cynical and and um you know I want to give the the government props for that but absolutely we do need we just we just need to see where that money's coming from and um and where the action's actually happening so I think to me look it would be pretty silly if that wasn't tabled accordingly in the next budget but um, I have also witnessed sillier things
0: happen from this government, so that's uh, yeah, we'll yeah. wait and see. Yeah, a couple of the key things just to pull out from from that response and from the Respect at Work report. Um, so basically, the Morrison government has you know, they've moved that they've gone to move forward with the idea that there will be no exception for parliamentarians. Um, that those people will be subjected to the same uh, duties, uh, will Parliament House will be subjected to the same uh, duties as an employer that that workplaces have with these new laws. Now, I think that came as a bit of a surprise. I think that um, a lot of – you might actually assume you would have thought that maybe they were already subject to the same laws as other workplaces, but but no, this is actually a significant change. And that certainly gave something to the Attorney-General, Michaela Cash, to talk about and that she – got up there at that press conference and said, you know, from now you know, we will be then subject to the same law as anybody else, which means we'll be subject to the same consequences. There'll be consequences for any members of parliament themselves found to have breached the Sexual Discrimination Act. So this is, believe it or not, a huge and significant step forward. Mm -hmm. Another piece of it which we'll look to see more details on is around the fact that, you know, serious... That that sexual harassment will fall under the banner of serious misconduct, which can then be grounds for dismissal. Again, which would be mm. a really huge step forward. Certainly, in the government, it would be a huge step forward. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, a few positives there. Yeah, I think I had my most positive words yet for mm. for the Morrison government. Should yeah, we talk no. about? Should we talk about the vaccine, or <laughs> we'll say that? For <laughs> this I mean on that you know one thing that uh the government has said in terms of why it took so long <laughs> for them to respond to this report they did talk about COVID as being part of the reason why mm-hmm. and I'm sorry I don't buy that Come convenient on. Yeah. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> convenience exactly so a lot of delaying going on let's face it the um the 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 safety survey again, delaying tactics. I think we're all seeing through it now. It's time to move on and actually make the changes happen. Yep. Speaking of respect at work, Tyler, let's talk about married at first sight. Ay, aye, aye. aye. <sighs> yes. I, I should caveat this time. by saying I have absolutely nothing to offer in this conversation other than what you've oh. told me today in writing your piece And you're and too highbrow read your piece. to watch maths. No, no, no. I've watched <laughs> maths in the past. In fact, I actually watched maths while I was in labour with my third child. Ooh, that would have um, made it more stressful. Well, it, gave me, <laughs> it certainly gave me a distraction because that was a particularly uh, <laughs> big season. But no, I haven't seen even 30 seconds of the current season. What is going on oh. and why is it so problematic?
1: Look, I think Maths has built a formula in which, you know, obviously it's built around pseudo relationship drama, um, but I think over the last couple of seasons, it's really just taken that to a whole new, um, you know, just a whole new kind of ball game, and it is really, it's it's becoming really hard to watch, to be honest. Um, this year, there's probably. One of the more controversial co- couples that have ever entered the experiment. Um, mm. When you so say a couple, they entered as singles. They, and they entered as a sing- singles, yes. Yeah. And they were paired up. So, yeah. Melissa
0: and Bryce. Um, I mean, I'm sure they were paired up because they're actually really good matches for each other. Absolutely. Is that, yeah. Because you, you could, could see, see that, yeah.
1: See it from the outset. Yeah.
0: Um, no,
1: but look, Bryce has become, um, you know, you can only blame so much on poor editing. The guys. Um, he, he has well I mean if it is editing then he's been edited to look um, like a very toxic character he um, has engaged in in you know um, bullying of of other um, members on the show um, he has been gaslighting his wife Melissa she is a very quiet and um, shy woman and and kind of um, says that about herself and um, but I guess there's this petition now that's um, that's circulating because people are a little bit jack of seeing this. They're jack of seeing um, nine pair women, vulnerable women, um, with men, toxic men on this show and, and having to watch that play out and that dynamic play out and these women being treated like shit, really, mm. um, for the duration of the show. And sometimes you can really actually see it having a – profound impact on them and a profoundly negative impact on them throughout it. So um you know I think this petition's now garnered more than 10,000 signatures. Um people are, are trying to um urge Channel 9 to to put a stop to this kind of dynamic. Um and also to you know really call it out when it happens uh, and and not let producers encourage any of that conduct from happening. Um so we will see where that lands. But, yes, I wrote a piece on it this morning because I have – I am not ashamed to admit that I am an avid maths watcher. Mm-hmm. Um, And, honestly, at the end of the day when I am exhausted uh, and my baby has finally gone to sleep, there is nothing I like more than watching some crap TV. But um, it I don't like – I just – I have no time for watching that. I think it's really destructive and I think especially in the current climate we just need to do better to to create better conversations and we need to demonstrate what real um you know happy loving relationships look like mm. to younger viewers. Mm. Um and we know that there are you know this is this is getting upwards of 1 million viewers yeah. each night. Yeah. Um yeah. we need to we need to do better there.
0: So What I I don't understand here is that – so I mentioned that I have – I watched the – I think it would have been the season before this because I don't – was there a season last year in Mm. in 2020 during the pandemic? I can't remember. But I do remember because I've gone through and had a look and I've seen, Tyler, that this is not the first time you've written about Married at First Sight. No. You did write in (laughs) 2019 about men like Mike and Sam – who you say are roaming among us. Don't be fooled that the series has ended. They are roaming among us. And I remember Mike and Heidi and I remember watching that season. So Mm. that was the last one that I watched. And I thought at the time that that season was so controversial Mm. and had so many problems with it that there was no way that Mm. that that show would be returning in anything remotely similar to what had happened there. Because we've all seen through the idea these people are not – match together because sparks are flying and because experts can see that they are destined for great love or something that that's not what is happening here there's always whether it's all couples or whether it's a couple of different cuddle couples they're intentionally matched because the producers want to see the drama spark and things and issues go on and they they want to see you coming back and watching what is going on with their relationships so and I, I get it like but, but I thought the general drama. public had kind of said, hey, enough. We're not putting yeah, it out with this but anymore. but this is what I
1: mean. It's just like this very particular brand of drama which we know is damaging. Like mm-hmm. why are we trying to perpetuate these like these ideals of relationships that are really toxic? Like yeah. we just need to get past that. Okay. Um, so
0: can I be controversial? Always. And say why don't you just stop watching it? Um, I, and I know that other people are watching it. Yeah. But no, why, I think why it's a good isn't the campaign saying people stop watching this?
1: Yeah, I think it's a really good point. I think if the show, I think the show's premise is actually an interesting one. And if it was done properly, um, then it would be an You'd interesting one. You'd watch it? Yeah, I would, uh, I yeah. would watch it. <laughs> I will say that after this season, I probably won't watch another season because I do find it, yeah, I've found it really jarring. And but I just, you are going to see out the season. I wrote, well, more as a kind of, Like, yeah, more because I'm hoping that something will shift, I guess. Like, I've spent a couple of nights actually, like, lying in bed, (laughs) angsting about Melissa. Melissa. Like, I actually worry about her situation. And um, whether or not that's fair or not, that's how I feel. And I just think – and look, let me also be clear that I think that the toxic relationships on this show aren't necessarily always men um, you know, men subjecting women to that. I think in a couple of cases, certainly this year there have been cases of women gaslighting men as well. And I just think we, we need to do more to kind of shift that. Um, and if we are presenting um, relationships to the public eye, we need to do better at, at presenting, like, you know, the reality of relationships but that's not the reality of relationships mm. and it's scary for me.
0: But that the reality it, of relationships could be boring. That's – I don't know.
1: My relationship's not very boring. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, no, I, I get I'm, I'm plenty saying, angry at my partner. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but I'm sure it's, pro- it's probably uninteresting <laughs> to people out there side of your home like it's not unless it's going to be you know tempers flying and people going off and yeah so maybe that's what we need to
1: to see whether or not it can actually be repackaged into into something that's like you know that that's safe and healthy Mm -hmm. um and if it can't it can't but i think
0: nine owes a duty of care to its viewers. Can I ask, is there any diversity in this current cast? Because there certainly hasn't been much diversity in previous seasons or previous casts.
1: Uh there's a little bit, but yeah, look, it's it's definitely not where it needs
0: to be. Has it so there's been a little bit of effort applied there? Or uh
1: yeah. No, look, I wouldn't say that it's particularly diverse. I think that they definitely need to, to work on that too. But um yeah, it's not completely white bread.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah, Married at first sight. Go and watch it on Channel 9. Please
1: don't <laughs> necessarily take this as an endorsement. <laughs> Maybe read my piece before you troll me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah Tyler's already had a number of emails come through so possibly sharing um more uh, interesting ways of asking that question or why do you watch that and more pol- uh, I should say I, I put it a very polite way yeah others have not been so polite in their emails through Look, to, to why but at the same time I, I'm sorry I'm going to defend you Tyler. you have w- the right to watch whatever you want to write watch however crap or whatever that Thanks, is that's Hedge. fine So uh, moving on, let's talk about a win for women this week.
1: Uh, So my win, well, it's for families actually Mm -hmm. more broadly Um, and I think it's a really, really great win. So the New South Wales public sector have announced that they will be giving 14 weeks paid parental leave to all primary carers Um, and that is a huge shift from the one week that they were offering secondary carers and the 14 weeks that they were offering primary carers to this point. Um, So I guess this is a little bit of a self-centred win on my part because my partner um, is a teacher's aide in New South Wales um, and we had our first baby in January 2020. He uh, took a week of his, his paid leave and and then he was scrambling around trying to take bits of sick leave and holiday leave to have um, you know additional time with with me and Teddy. Um, and now that that has changed, that that um, policy is coming into place. I think in July. Um, and when that does, it means that for if we choose to have another child, you know will be able to, to split that leave, those leave entitlements. I'll be able to take the time that I need to take off um, and then he can move into the primary care position and take 14 weeks. So you can take that 14 weeks anytime throughout that first year. Um, hmm. So it's a, it's a really big game changer for a huge, um, you know, huge kind of
0: cohort of people that work for the public sector in Australia. Yeah and it is a game changer. It's taken a lot of work to get to that point and a lot of campaigning and one thing I would say is that it should be 14 paid weeks for all carers regardless of whether they are the primary or the secondary carer. I think Mm. it'd be great to see that they actually remove the primary and secondary carer labels that they don't call it a primary carer. It should be that if you are a parent and you Mm. have a child if you adopt a child if you have ha, whatever way a child comes into your life that you get to that 14 weeks i haven't do you need to prove somehow that you are the um cuz previously the 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 issue were was that um that 14 weeks was only available for the maternal parent that could access that 14 weeks while the other parent i'm saying that in speech marks um most typically the father i guess was entitled to one week of paid leave so I guess I want to see them remove the labels. Yeah,
1: yeah, I get that um, that point, and I think it's an important one. Um, I, I guess you know the fact that you can take it throughout any time in that year means that you yeah. know one, then you can move, then you can that. move on to. So being it that. it means that couples can split mm. the care of their child, and I think you know beyond the fact that this policy will will save thousands of families lots of money potentially and um and stress and hassle it will also um ensure that people aren't having to to kind of um hinder their own kind of career progression and and um we see you know a lot of women step back Mm -hmm. um and have to kind of juggle things and work around things and and now we can kind of yeah um see more men step into to that role and take on those um those weeks in the primary carer position
0: yeah um it really gives men a lot more opportunity to um be those those carers in yeah. those early years and i think like and that bonding you,
1: experience yeah. in those those first few months is just so formative you know and i know um george my partner like you know in a sense we were a little bit lucky because the pandemic happened um pretty soon after teddy's birth but and so he had a little bit of time off at that stage um but i'm conscious that if he hadn't had that it would have been – you know, he would have missed out on a significant period of bonding with – With so this is um, – I think it's really welcome development.
0: Yeah, it is absolutely welcome development and we always welcome seeing these developments uh, across – big organisations as well across big employers and we do see them from time to time where these announcements come out where they have upped the paid parental leave uh, and making sure that it is um, more equal in in their offering so we love seeing that so if you know of organisations that are doing that by all means please send it in and ultimately we'd love to see uh, more funding uh, at the um, the paid parental leave level from the federal government so that all of us Mm. can access this regardless of where we work if we work for small businesses if we work for if we run our own businesses whatever it is that there are better entitlements particularly for nice? secondary carers and particularly for men yeah. so
1: 18 weeks minimum wage is
0: really not cutting it <laughs> <laughs> not no but you know something more like what we see in some of the Scandinavian countries and yeah. elsewhere where you know they they have kind of months and months of paid parental leave and they actually offer it on a use it or lose it basis yeah. to, to uh, both parents. So you can either take it or, or, you, or you lose it and then you can decide between the two of you who will take the final third of it. But yeah. if as a secondary carer or as the father or as a mother, if you're not going to take that, then you nobody's getting that paid leave. So you yeah. need to like, go ahead and take it and we see what a difference it does actually make towards achieving gender equality in those countries. Moving on to my win, a little bit different. We've got to go into the business world for a moment. Um, Melanie Perkins, who is the co-founder of the tech startup Canva, uh, which we are big fans of and have been using for many years on Women's Agenda for a lot of our things and you've probably been using it as well, many of you out there. I think I saw somewhere that they have uh, 55 million active users, which is incredible. They, found it in, um, they started in 2013 um, the company remains profitable. It is an Australian-born technology startup and it is now hit a valuation of $19.7 billion following its latest round of funding. That is that amazing. <laughs> so yeah. That is. That's not just a unicorn. <laughs> that's like <laughs> a unicorn. Like that's like the unicorn of unicorns. It's a
1: flourishing golden
0: unicorn. Yeah, that, that's a <laughs> flock of unicorns. Did you call them a flock? What is a bunch of unicorns? Together? I don't know. I uh, you know it's. <laughs> A gaggle, a gaggle of unicorns existing in that one amazing Australian startup story, um, and Melanie Perkins is the co-founder of that, and she's amazing, and would love to interview her on Women's Agenda or <laughs> get her involved in one of our events, um, maybe one day. So um, we also know that um, a lot of you out there would particularly love to hear from her as well. So I've loved seeing some of uh, Melanie's business advice being shared across various places over the past few years and love to see and watch her remarkable business story. Canva is actually – women's agenda is older than Canva, so feeling a little – like we're underachieving <laughs> here. yeah i love it where are we going we're like a year ahead of them and here we are <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, all right we've uh, only hit 18.5 billion
0: dollars just know, if anyone's not. wondering <laughs> we've only hit unicorn status um we're waiting to become a gaggle of unicorns that is in the uh, <laughs> 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 we're at pegasus mode we certainly are so well done to melanie perkins and canva and you can go and see uh jesse too has reported on that story on our website where you can see it um and she is uh, we reported last year that that melanie was actually one of the wealthiest women in australia i don't know where this puts her i don't think it kind of puts her ahead of gina reinhardt i'm not sure i doubt it but um she's certainly up there and 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 still very very young as well i think that's it from us yeah I think it is. It is. Thank you, Tyler. See you later. Thank you for listening to the Women's Agenda podcast. A reminder once again that we do put out a newsletter with all our stories uh, just before lunch and you can subscribe to that at womensagenda.com.au forward slash subscribe. We're also running our Women's Agenda Leadership Awards in a couple of weeks' time, so you can check out our website as well if you want to come to an actual in-person live event uh, with other people there which would be very exciting so that is happening in a couple of weeks where you will hear from an awesome panel that we've lined up as well as all the winners of our leadership awards and you can go and listen to our second podcast the leadership lessons hosted by Kate Mills which features conversations with female leaders on the critical decade ahead thank you again for listening